One of the biggest events this week happened in Hong Kong. What happened in Hong Kong this week? Hushed whispers to one another. Yeah? Yeah? What else happened in Hong Kong this week? Hmm. I'll tell you what happened in Hong Kong this week. There what? Go on, Jonathan. There was a tsunami. Hmm. There was a big fire at the big, tall building, the World Trade Center, which is, well, depends which news article you listen to. It's either 38 stories, 39 stories, or 40 stories tall. But either way, imagine the Radio City Tower. It's a little bit taller than that. There was a big fire at this great building in Hong Kong. And the fire broke out on around the 12th floor and left how many people stranded on the roof? Well, if you didn't know there was a fire, you probably won't know how many people it left stranded on the roof. There were 300 people stranded on the roof. Now, those 300 people trapped up there, what did they need the most? Someone to rescue them. Exactly. More than anything else. That's what they needed. And eventually they were rescued. Now, I don't know when you think of Christmas, when you think of the nativity story that we've heard read to us so far this evening, whether you think of it as being a rescue. But that's exactly what it is. That's what it's all about. It was God's rescue that he promised long ago where Jesus would come to us, as we read earlier, in order to save his people from their sins. The nativity story really is the arrival of this promised rescuer. And this evening we're simply going to look at two verses in the Bible about this rescue from a letter called Galatians. And here's what it says, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And from these verses, we're going to see three things about God's rescue and about the rescuer who came to us at the Nativity. First, we're going to see when the rescue began. We're going to see how the rescue was executed. And we're going to see why the rescue is taking place. Because it hasn't ended, this rescue. It didn't just happen 2,000 years ago and now it's over. It's still happening now. People are still being rescued. And the question is, will you be one of them? So when? When did this promised rescuer appear? Well, Paul, the writer of this letter to the Galatians, tells us when the fullness of time had come. The fullness of time or the completeness of time. 
This promised rescuer came at the precise, decided, appointed time. It was according to God's flawless planning and precise timetable, just as he intended. Now, have you ever played the puzzle video game Tetris? Has anyone heard of Tetris or played Tetris? Quite a few people. Now, what is Tetris? Well, this is Tetris. Different coloured shapes, different shapes of different sizes fall down onto the screen and what you have to do as the player is twist them and arrange them so that they fall as neatly as you can make them fall. You have to bring order from the chaos. Now, we may think that this is how God orders our universe. We may think that this is how God orders our circumstances. We may think that events just occur randomly, that there's no order or reason or purpose or planning. It's all just coincidence and luck and chance. And that God, his role is to just try and simply fit together all these circumstances that crop up as best he can and try and bring order from the chaos. He allows things to fall into place, but ultimately has no power over the things that happen. But God tells us differently. He tells us that he knows and orders the end from the beginning. And more than that, we know that there's nothing outside of his rule and his control. And more than that, we know that every good gift comes from him. And more than that, we know that every bad, hard, difficult circumstance, God means to bring good. In all of history, in all of the world, God has decided the pieces and plans out the pattern. None of them surprise him. None of them even exist without his say-so. None of them will fall without his order. And when it was time, when it was the completed time for the peace of the promised rescue to fall, it fell, just as God intended to. You've already sung this evening, See amid the winter snow, born for us on earth below, see the tender lamb appears, promised from eternal years. Now, what, what does that mean, that Jesus was promised to us from eternal years? Well, it means that God didn't just send Jesus as a last-minute backup plan in an attempt to arrange the mismatched falling pieces and try and quickly solve everything. It means that God sent Jesus because that was the plan from the start. Even before time began, we read in 2 Timothy chapter 1, God had purposed for Jesus to be sent into the world among us as the rescuer. Right from the beginning of humanity, in the Garden of Eden, God told us, about this promised rescuer, 
who would one day come. He told us about the most important peace that one day, in his right time, he would send down onto the playing field. When? At God's perfect time. Secondly, how? How did God execute this rescue? When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He sent forth his son, the holy son of God. He would be the redeemer. We've already heard this evening how the angel appeared to Joseph, the angel appeared to Mary, to tell them that God was sending forth this promised rescuer to be born to them. And we learn in these verses two things about his birth that we remember at Christmas. First, he was born of a woman. Now, why is that important? Because that meant that he was a man. That meant that he was a human being, a person, just like us. Now, why does that matter? Because he was going to stand in the place of people. He was going to stand in the place of human beings, men and women and children, just like you and me. And so, he was born of a woman. He had to be made like us and compatible with us to be the one to rescue us. Second, he was born under the law. Now, what is the law? Is it the law of Bethlehem? Is it the law of Caesar Augustus, who made the census for them to go back to their birthplace? No, the law being spoken of is the law of God. It's God's commandments, God's moral instructions to me and to you. Part of that law we know is the Ten Commandments, don't we? It's the way that God would have us live. And the law of God is what you and what I am under because we are God's creatures. It is over us. We are subject to it and also measured by it. That's what it means to be under the law. And so God says, do not speak falsely. And your life is measured against that. God says in his law, love the Lord with all your strength. And your life is measured against that. You are under the law. It has or had authority and power over you. Let me illustrate it in this way. And we thought about this on Friday at BBB. Imagine that everyone who is under the law has a, a cup with their name engraved upon it. And it's as though every time a person under the law breaks the law, a drop of God's wrath and judgment is added to your cup. Every lie, there's a drop. Every evil thought, there's a drop. Every 
godless desire, there's a drop. Every selfish motive, there's a drop. Does that worry you? How many drops do you imagine are in your cup? Let me tell you, the wrath of God and the judgment of God is stacked heavily against you. And one day, everybody's cup of everybody who's under the law will be poured out and the punishment will be given. And the soul that sins will die. That's what it means for us. That's what it means for you to be under the law. But how incredible then is it that this rescuer not only had to be born of a woman to be a human like us, knowing all the fears and the pains and the struggles that we do, but also that he put himself under the law, just as we are. He put himself under the same standard and the same measure, the same requirements as we are. And from his birth, that baby in the manger grew up to live a perfect and sinless life. Every command of the law, Jesus wholeheartedly kept. Every instruction of God's law, he joyfully obeyed. So that when you look into the cup with Jesus' name engraved on it, there's not a single drop of God's wrath, not a single drop of God's judgment in his cup. But instead, it's filled to the brim with something completely different. It's filled with goodness and righteousness and holiness. And so, where does this rescue come from? Well, all of this was necessary so that Jesus could redeem those who are under the law. So here we are, under the law, having broken the law, and so are full of sin, and our cup full of God's wrath against us. But here's Jesus, put under the law like us, but has completely kept the law. And so he's full of righteousness. He was sent to us so that he could redeem and purchase us out of our position. That is the rescue. Now, who is it that he redeems? Is it everybody? Automatically? Without exception? No. It's those who are under the law who believe in him, who trust in him, who rely upon him, who bank on him, who are convinced by him. And the Bible calls that person a Christian believer. They are the ones who become redeemed. 
And so how exactly did Jesus do this redemption? Well, the newborn king who once lay in peace in that wooden manger would one day lie in agony on a wooden cross. And Jesus hung there in the place of Christian believers, feeling the weight of God's anger and the fierceness of God's judgment against their sin on himself. And that soul who never sinned died. Not because he carried his own sin, but because he carried their sin and bore their judgment once and for all. But this rescuer didn't stay dead and rot away. He rose from the dead. So he's the risen rescuer. The saviour who was once described as the newborn king is now described as the everlasting king. He lives and continues to rescue today just as much as he did 2,000 years ago, just as much as God has done throughout all of history before that. When? At God's perfect time. And how? He sent his son to live free of sin so that he could bear our sin and forgive us forever and raise us one day after our death to be with him in the place without sin. So then, why? What is the purpose or the end goal of this rescue? When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, over Christmas, maybe your family will play this game. Names nodding his head. Monopoly. Now, when I used to play Monopoly as a child, the one square that I used to dread to land on said, Go to jail. If your life were a game of Monopoly, and if sin were the thing that lands you in jail, what is becoming a Christian like? Becoming a Christian is not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's better than that. It's far better than that. Becoming a Christian is as though you've been taken out of jail, taken to the end of the game, and you've been promised all of the properties and all of the money, 
and it's yours. It's far greater than that. Being forgiven by God doesn't just mean he cleans you up and takes you back to square one to start over. It's greater than that. You stand as one who has sinned, yes, but has been redeemed. And more than that, you've been forgiven every one of your sins. And more than that, it's a permanent forgiveness that never fades away. And more than that, you receive adoption as a son of God. He's no longer your condemner, but he's your father. And what then does that mean for you? It means that not only did Jesus step into your shoes to be treated as a guilty sinner, but he takes you and places you into his shoes so that you're seen as an innocent child of God. It means that you're clothed, not with your sin, but with his righteousness. It means that you're filled with the strength of God through his spirit that lives in you. It means that you're granted an inheritance in heaven that will never fade. That's the extravagant grace that God shows to terrible sinners whom he chooses to make his sons. The Son of God became the adopted son of sinners so that sinners could become the adopted sons of God. That is the rescue that was promised long, long ago. That is the peace on earth and that is the joy that the world is to know. It's as though God took that cup of yours. He took the cup of a Christian's sin and poured it out on, not you, on Jesus. So that it was completely empty with not a single drop left in it, forever paid for and forever dealt with. And then into your cup, he pours the righteousness and the goodness and the holiness of Jesus. So that when the Father sees you, he sees you as a son of his. And all of that righteousness in your cup will remain there forever. Nothing can steal it away, nothing can spill it out. It is there forever. I wonder, what is your cup filled with right now? Is it filled with your own sin? Is it filled with God's eternal judgment that will one day be poured out over you? Or has it already been poured out? And has it been filled by him? 
Before that fire in Hong Kong, a lady was having lunch at a restaurant on the 12th floor, around where the fire broke out. And she said that smoke started filling the restaurant for 10 minutes before any alarm went off. And she became worried, but a member of staff said to her, we're not leaving yet, don't be afraid. But then she ended up trapped on the roof. Don't be like that member of staff. Don't think that there's no real danger. Don't think that there's more time than you have. Don't think that there's no need to act. Think of this evening as the alarm going off. Think of the nativity story as a warning alarm to you that there is danger, that there is trouble, but that there is still time for rescue, that the rescue is here. And for those of you who have been rescued, all of these things are in your past. You were under the law. But Jesus has now redeemed you from under it. You were guilty. But God has now declared you as innocent. You were in debt to him with a cup full of his judgment. But now it's been emptied onto Christ and filled with his goodness. And you're free. For those of you who haven't, been rescued. All of this still hangs over your head. You were under the law and you're still there. You were guilty before God and you're still there. You did have a debt to pay and a full cup and it's still there. The alarm is sounding for you. But there is still time for rescue. The rescue is here. And the rescue is Christ. Will you rely upon this rescuer? Yes. Oh no. If God is working in your heart and opening your heart, then your answer to that question will be a happy yes.